Okay, we're going to continue on this morning with uh, what is a happy person. Maybe we'll get through more than one today. We're up to number eight. Number eight and number nine. Uh, Number eight is a happy person remains in the present, and number nine is a happy person is still. So you can see that these overlap. And I want to sort of give an introduction, although we might not get through both of them. I want to give sort of an introduction to the two of them because both of them deal so obviously with what we are doing with our mind. There have only been two times in my life, well, no, there have actually been three, I just remembered another. But basically, for any sustained period, there have only been two times that I've been a celebrity. Uh, And one of them was uh, several years ago at a university that I will not name. And as a matter of fact, I will change just a little bit of this story to keep certain identities uh, secret. I have told you that I do do this. Uh, When I tell stories, I try to change enough of the details so no one will be embarrassed. Uh, But this is essentially uh, what happened. there was a university that wanted me to come speak to them. Um, and um, I don't know what was happening in my life at that time, but uh, I'd, I'd gotten some advice on fees to charge, that I was not charging a sufficient fee. And did I know that all these other people were charging X amount of dollars? And they happened to... Uh, give me an invitation right at that time in which I had just upped my fee mentally. And so they wanted to know how much did I charge, and I said, uh, without hesitating at all, I said, $3,000. Oh, that'll be no problem at all. Well, evidently it was a problem. Uh, This university went to the administration, <laughs> uh, and uh, Hugh who? <laughs> what? Uh, well, we'll match whatever you raise. So they set up little booths out on the campus and um, raised money, and they put posters and flyers all over this uh, medium-sized city. Uh, they ran things on public television there and they did uh, media stuff as much as they could and they were trying to raise this money well one of the people who attended the uh, university was a woman with a multiple personality Uh, and for some reason those of you who do counseling notice this phenomenon that there will that these things come in groups For some reason, I was getting a lot of multiple personalities. I was counseling a lot of people with multiple personalities at that time. It was just a period there of about, oh, six or eight months, maybe a year. And this, uh, there was a list that you could sign. You you would come up and you would say that you were going to attend and and so forth. And they were actually petitioning the, uh, the administration of the university 
to give them, I forget how much money. They had found that there was some secret fund that the administration wasn't talking about, and they they decided they could get a couple thousand dollars from that, and they were going to raise the other one. So they were these were petitions, booths with petitions. And uh, this dear sweet woman uh, got in line, signed it, got at the end of the line, changed into personality number two. <laughs> Signed it, got in the line, changed it to personality number three, and signed it. This is a true story. <laughs> she really did. This part of it's true. <laughs> uh, I was so touched by that. Uh, I, I met the, uh, the woman, and um, as a matter of fact, she followed me around, and um, everywhere I went, and the whole time, and changed into all three of her personalities in front of me, which I was told was a great honor, that, uh, that when she turned into a, that she almost never turned into a man, except people that she trusts, trusted very much. And as a man, she told me that she had read my interview in Glamour magazine. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> you didn't know your minister gave a... Uh, interview for Glamour magazine, did you? As a matter of fact, I can see many of you don't even know what Glamour magazine is. It's a good thing, people. This way you'll... <laughs> uh, the woman, as a matter of fact, a woman came out from Glamour magazine and interviewed uh, Gail and me for three days, and I realized that she had so much information on me by the time she left <clears throat> that if she wanted to, it would be the end of anything I wanted to do in public from then on. <laughs> but she went back and extracted only the things that I'd said on forgiveness, and the whole interview was on forgiveness. It's, it was one of the nicest interviews I've read. We can't put it on the table back there for obvious reasons. <laughs> well, I guess we could cut it out and uh, re remove all surrounding pictures. And... Oh. oh, it wasn't glamour. Excuse me, it was... Uh... Oh, it was a gallery. It was Gallery Magazine. Excuse me. Oh, oh, yes, right. Excuse me. It's Gallery Magazine. They both began with a G, you see. It's Gallery Magazine. What did you say? She says she's doing this to me ever since I, she's zapping me from behind. Um... So, anyway, when she turned into a man, she told me that she had read this interview and she'd lost the magazine. Could I send her another one? But the woman who had come out to interview Gail and me for this, as I say, did it for three days, went back, extracted all that uh, I'd said on forgiveness, quit Gallery Magazine, and went over and started working for Kosher Home. <laughs> That's true also, people. <laughs> So, all this is a lead-in about multiple personalities. Um, I assume that all of you know what a multiple personality is. I assume that you've probably seen one or more movies about them. Um, and I want you to imagine being the psychiatrist or the psychologist who is trying to help a particular multiple personality. Imagine someone coming into your office and sitting there, and in the course of the session, 
changing into another personality. And then changing into a third personality. Now, this is someone that you love very dearly, and you're trying to help them. You're trying to explain to them what they need to do so that they can be whole and happy. Because, of course, any division of our mind is an unhappy thing. Anything that is perceived as a problem by the world is a difficult thing. And this is, of course, perceived to be a problem of the world. I'm sure it's possible to be completely at peace and be a multiple personality. But it would be very difficult to bring that off since so many people see it as an aberration and see it as wrong. And so you're trying to help this individual. There sits the individual. They're one thing. I can remember when uh, this woman turned into a man. It was, even though I was prepared for it, even though I knew uh, this could happen, it was indeed a shocking experience. It was the first time I had seen that happen right in front of me. Uh, as a matter of fact, there, uh, she had taken me into a room and we were, uh, I was counseling with her and then she changed into the man there. So it was a somewhat similar situation as the one I'm setting up. So picture this, the person changing, and picture what you are doing during this time. Maybe there's a little shock there, because for a moment you perceive a di difference. And then you realize, no, this is the same person. So you look into the individual's heart, and even though they switch from one personality to another, and and of course, there are now cases of 10, 10 or more changes. I don't know what the record is. And see yourself looking straight into this person's heart. And although they change, you keep speaking to their heart. Their heart remains the same. Those of you, and there, I know that there are a number of you here, who have done alcoholic counseling, have probably dealt with people with DTs. And so there you are talking to someone and they begin hallucinating. What do you do? You do not address yourself to the hallucination. You do not make the hallucination more real. You are not drawn into it, but you continue to look straight into this person's heart and you speak from your heart to the individual's heart. This hints at a truth that we are one self. This is a scary truth for many people. They don't understand it, or it just sits there and does nothing, or they torture themselves for years trying to figure out how it could be so. And it's not necessary to do any of those things. But it can be helpful, or it might, might not be, but it can be helpful to remind yourself that there is only one self. And this is why you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is why it eventually begins to hurt you very, very much, make you very sad, upset you for very long periods when you attack another person, when you gossip or criticize, or in some way, try to lower other people's estimation 
of a third person or when you attack them yourself or when they attack you and you lash back. Now, many of you are beginning to enter this stage. You cannot slough this off as you once did. Before, you could simply say, well, they had it coming, I'm right, it's too bad about this, but they deserve it, it'll probably help them anyway. And so you had a feeling of guilt and anxiety and justification, and you did, in fact, appear to let it go, and it did not hurt you. But as you have walked toward God, and as your love of home has grown, and as you have begun to experience the gentleness and the peace of God, and as you have begun to see how happy it makes you to see other people as innocent and to let go of grievances, and as you have seen what it would be like to go through a whole day judging nothing, judging no one, how happy you would be, how close you would feel to your father. Then there has been this sensitivity that has developed that might have felt like a mistake. And I've mentioned this, of course, before. Now when you make a mistake and you attack your brother or your sister, even in your own mind, you feel very badly about it. And an overt attack can sometimes hang on for days. And I know that some of you are now beginning to experience this. And you don't understand it, why it's happening. The reason it's happening is you're beginning to sense the truth that there is only one self, that you have attacked what is in fact you. And so as the psychiatrist sits there and talks to the person with a multiple personality, oftentimes there is a little war that goes on between the personalities. They may appear, for example, to be roommates living together. And one personality has, a, has all this grievance against the other personality and tries to get back at the other personality by leaving the house messy, for example, or not carrying out the trash because of some grievance. And then the other personality walks in the door and they have to pick up the trash and they take the trash out even though it wasn't their duty and so forth. But do you see what really happens? The same person walks in the door thinking that there's someone else. The same person walks in the door. And so all that's happened is one of the multiple personalities hurt the same self. Now, if this analogy is confusing or anything like that, then just forget it. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it appears as if you're attacking someone else, and then you begin to feel this sorrow when you have made an attack. And that's because you begin to realize you have not attacked someone else. There's only one self. There's only one God. And you don't have to try to figure out whether this is true or why it's true. 
But if you just simply practice peace every day, if you try to be gentle and kind, nothing more than that, just try to be gentle and kind, to turn to your father as many times as you can during the day, to stop and turn to God and wrap yourself in his love, then you will begin to sense we are all one. We are one family. We are held in God. There are no differences. And so number eight is about staying in the present. A happy person remains in the present. You cannot attack someone, you cannot judge someone unless you hold their past against them. There's nothing there to attack except their past. The person is all right in the present. It's what you are dwelling on that makes you want to attack them. Notice even if they attack you, it doesn't hurt in the present. Have you noticed this? Someone lashes out, you, out to you and there is a delay before it hurts. Notice this. It does not hurt the instant it comes. It hurts when you begin thinking about it, even though it happened only three seconds ago. Now it begins to hurt. Because now it has left the present and has gone into the past, which is the realm of the ego. The future and the past are the place where the ego dwell. The ego must dwell in a fictional place. It cannot dwell in a real place. And there is far more reality in the present than there is in the past and the future. There is, in fact, no reality in the past and the future. Our sense of the present is not completely in the present. But it is, in fact, the proper direction, the proper focus. It's the only place we're going to know God. When are you going to know God? Now is the only time. If you will be a little more peaceful now, a little more gentle now, you are knowing God a little more now. But if you try to understand your mistake, or if you try to tell yourself what someone meant, or should they have done this, or if your heart is in what's going to happen this evening, or tomorrow, or a week from now, there is no God in it. It will only hurt you. Every thought you think hurts you. Unless it is a gentle thought of love that is holy about the present. We've said before that the ego has a definition of the present. The present is not being interrupted to the ego. So the ego gets a goal, something it wants to do, something it wants to continue doing. And the way it stays in the present is it resents any interruption. Did you know that the song that John Hunter sang was a true story? It happened to him this last week. He stepped right where he did step, and the toilet did overflow, and everything is in that song is true. This is the nature of the world. 
These things happen. They're, in fact, always happening. It's just that we think we've got a little bit better handle on it at one time than we do on the other. But notice it keeps slipping away. I've said this so often, but almost no one has believed it yet. The number one hindrance to your spiritual progress is your belief that there will be rewards in the world for your spiritual efforts. Let me repeat that. The number one hindrance to your spiritual progress is your belief that you have some due, you have something coming in the world because of your spiritual efforts. And it is quite easy to to delude ourselves that this is in fact happening. And we give these little testimonials to each other about all these wonderful things that are happening to us because of the spiritual principles. But notice in your own case what tremendous deception there is in that. Because to every one that you're citing, there were a hundred you are not citing. In which you did your little trick and it didn't work. And so, of course, we can give evidence that our spiritual evidence, that our spiritual uh, efforts give us special concessions in the world, that there are favors bestowed upon us that other people don't have. But people, it simply is not going on. That is not happening. And if you believe it too strongly, you are in jeopardy of falling off the spiritual path because you will feel betrayed sooner or later. Sooner or later, your honesty will say, well, I worked very hard, and look what happened. There is no connection. There is no connection whatsoever. It is true, of course, that as we become more peaceful, we make more sensible and intelligent decisions, and our life does run more smoothly. But this has nothing to do with knowledge of uh, some occult uh, set of rules or something. This has to do simply with the calmness of mind. And if you are calm, then your life tends to be calmer. If you are gentler, your relations tend to be gentler, and so forth. There's no magic to it. This is true of everyone, even those who can't read, who can't attend meetings. And so John's only help was his realization that it had no meaning that these series of things happened because we spend all this time torturing ourselves. It has no meaning at all. And to think that it does, we switch our mind from the truth of God to what's going on in the world. And when we do that, we begin walking away from our Father. Now here's a simple thing that you can observe. Many of you have worked on this. It's a very good one. And that is to notice the phenomenon of the accumulation of conflict 
So a happy person is a person who remains in the present. And as you go about the day, you will notice that you are conflicted about almost everything that you do from the time you get up in the morning. This is something that has to be seen because it's the thing that makes the world real and draws us back into the world. So many of you are now waking up and turning your thought to God in the morning. Many of you are doing that. But you begin to lose it, and the day begins to drag on you and weight you down. And here's how that happens. There is a one thing that you do, and that thing will be done with conflict. You will be not sure as to whether you're you should be doing it. Maybe there's something else you should be doing. Or possibly you'll be thinking of the next thing that you have to do and you'll be rushing through it. Or possibly you'll be criticizing yourself about the way you're doing it. You're not doing it correctly. Or a thousand other things. But there's this little chattering of the ego that goes on. And therefore you're conflicted. You're not doing it in the present. You're not doing it with your heart at ease. And so what happens? You go ahead and do it anyway. You do exercise the ego's belief of what staying in the present means. Barging ahead. Going ahead and doing it anyway. Now this is the tendency of all of us. We start something, we sense that there's some conflict, but we go ahead and do it anyway. Whatever you did without peace accomplished nothing. It meant nothing. It took you nowhere. It helped no one. I don't care what it was. If it was done in conflict, it had no real effect. And so when you see that you're in conflict, don't barge ahead. Don't just go ahead and do it anyway. You're wasting time. You're doing more than wasting time. You are putting in place a weight that will add to other weights that day. Stop if you're in conflict. Sit down if necessary. Close your eyes and ask yourself, do I wish to do this? And see that you do. Even if it's something, even if you can see it's a mistake, but a mistake you haven't gone beyond. For example, Gail probably would not have uh, hit herself in the eye if she had said, I want a candy bar, I can't, I just, it's just my ego is too strong on this subject right now, and sat down and said, I'm going to have the candy bar in peace. It doesn't matter whether or not she thought it was a mistake, because many of the things that you do, you can see are mistakes and that someday you will be beyond this. Not that you will be beyond candy bars. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but you will, but you say, ah, I've, it's just too strong. I, I want to do this too strongly. Well, if that's the case, go ahead and do it, but do it in peace. Don't go do it guiltily or you will punish yourself. And so we do one thing. We barge ahead and we do it in conflict. And then we go on to the next thing. And what we don't realize is we carry the conflict from the first event into the second. And it accumulates. It adds to it. There is no way you can do the second event without conflict. 
And so it adds, and it adds. And this is why around 2, 3, 4, 5 o'clock, something in there, most people are in a state. They are not good parents. They're not good friends. Maybe they're capable of uh, social cleverness. But, but they are not. They're no longer teachers of God. They're no longer bodhisattvas. They're no longer gentle, loving spirits. They have left the spiritual path. The world has become more and more real. And their father has receded into a fiction. In the morning, you feel the presence of God. But by late afternoon, it seems like something so distant. Maybe you're still saying the words, but they're hollow. It is not necessary for this to happen. Staying in the present means staying peaceful, not allowing this accumulating process to continue. Now, one of your aids in this is the realization that you aren't going to do this perfectly. You're not going to let go of each event. You're not going to pause before you do each thing and, and do it with as much peace as you can. It's never necessary to do anything with perfect peace. It's not, that's not even a reasonable goal. But to do it as gently as you can. To be as sure as you can be. That's what's needed. But obviously this won't be done uh, perfectly. And there will be days in which you will forget about it altogether. And so to schedule a little time in the day is a good safety measure. So just assume that you are going to get off the track a little bit. But have a period that you've scheduled. This is okay to do. It doesn't have to be a long period. A time in which you're going to start the day over. You're going to rem remember your father. Around 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 o'clock. It doesn't matter when. Sometimes you know when the slump comes. The slump is never caused by someone or something. And yet you will find yourself angry or irritated about something. It has nothing to do with that thing. It has to do with this accumulation that has gone on. This premise that you have accepted from the ego. Well, it just has to be this way. I've just got to go ahead and do it. It's got to be done, and I'm not at peace about it, but it's got to be done anyway, and so you go ahead and do it, and then you then carry conflict and the next thing and so forth. That's why A Course in Miracles says we are never upset for the reason we think. It's something that happened prior to the outbreak of the irritation or the anger. Suddenly you see it, and of course you must sit down at that point or it's just going to get worse and you're really going to start backtracking if you continue in anger very long. You really are going to turn away from God and start work, walking back into the world and you're going to have to just make up the, the time. It's not that it takes that amount of time. It doesn't take the same amount of time. But the same, the same number of steps are going to have to be... You're going to have to work to get back to the place where you were. So you do not want the anger to continue. Let the anger be a signal. Now's the time to sit down. Search your mind. See what premise of the ego you accepted that set this thing up. And let it all go and begin the day again. So starting the day by setting your, your uh, goal, having a break, and then letting go at the end of the day. We've mentioned these things so many times. It's very, very useful tools. Now, those in themselves do not appear to be staying in the present. 
You set your goal to stay in the present, in the morning. And so it's not like planning and saying how the day must go. Everything that we do in the world pertains to the past or the future. There's nothing that we do that doesn't relate to the past and the future. So it is not possible to act or speak in the world in the present. But it is possible for your heart to be in the present. When we were up at these islands, uh, we uh, went out one day at a very, very low tide. And uh, we just happened to catch... It was almost by accident. We caught this very low tide. I took John out there. John, when he first got off the uh, uh, out of the car, you know, when we first started walking around uh, the great northwest, uh, he was coming and getting us and dragging us over to look at puddles. <laughs> He's five years old and he'd never seen puddles on the ground, you know. Water! <laughs> uh you probably have puddles here in Santa Fe, but out in uh, uh, Tano Road, there is no paving or anything like that. And so you really don't see puddles. And I just, I just so, uh, but puddles became commonplace. The world fades. You know this, don't you, people? <laughs> Even puddles lose their luster after a while. And now there had to be bigger and better things. And so we were now turning over rocks. I didn't tell this story last time, did I? We're turning over rocks, and uh, Gail was making a phone call at this particular place, and she was going to meet us when we got through. And there were really remarkable things out there uh, because the tide was so low, things that almost never got uncovered. Great big uh, sun stars. This, uh, they were like, they had all these multiple arms, great big things, multiple, multicolored things that looked like starfish, but lots and lots of uh, legs, and there were... Uh, all kinds of things that happened. Well, Gail came back. We had walked up back, gotten off the rocks, and he ran to her and he said, Mommy, Mommy, he said, uh, we saw uh, suckerfish and we saw limp blimpies or something like that. I don't know, limpies or something. He knows the name of it. I don't know. Limpets? Limpets. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, and we uncovered a ro one rock, and this great big crab came after us. And uh, I sliced open my thumb, and I uh, we saw uh, seaweed that pops, and on on on. And slicing open his thumb was just in there. It's just one more event. You see, I, I saw he, he, to him it was just as much an adventure as anything else. He'd done it on a barnacle and fell or something. And coming back. After we uh, got back to Albuquerque and we were driving home, we, uh, he, he wanted to talk about all the things that had happened. And I realized the innocence with which he was doing that. He was in the present. It was a game he was playing in the present. There was no longing to get back there. There was no rehearsal that what he's going to tell other kids. It was clear about that. He just loved going over it. Of course you can talk about the past from the present, and it can be happy. And I remembered his last birthday when he was doing this, that he loved talking about his birthday and what that they were going to have decorations and we are going to have a cake and all this stuff. But when it came to 
selecting who would be there, although he had talked about all of his friends and everything. He said, no, you decide. <coughs> and we said, oh, no, don't you want to select? Don't you want to choose who's going to be at your birthday party? No, you all decide. He's already saying you all. We've corrupted him. <laughs> he wasn't born in Texas, and now he's saying you all. Uh, so it was a game. I saw that it, it, was not, it, it didn't really matter what the details were going to be. It was just thinking about it that was fun in the present. So a spiritual path does not restrict you. Staying in the present does not restrict you. It's your heart that's in the present. You're not longing or trying to figure out something that happened, longing for it to be different. Trying to figure out what happened and tell yourself the meaning of it all, of this thing that happened the other day. Now there your heart is in the past, and therefore you're not heading toward God at that particular moment. Or your heart is in the future. Whenever you find yourself excited, your heart is not in the present. You're always excited because it either it's the start of something or about something that's going to happen. But excitement needs a future. There's, of course, recalled excitement. But there is no present in excitement. It may be that you're excited while it's going on, but if you look closely, it's because you'll be able to tell other people about it. It's because you're having this unique experience and it's setting you apart. And so it's very definitely based on the future or the past. It's unusual. It's based on the past. And you're excited about it. And notice that the excitement always leads to disappointment, inevitably. And so staying in the present doesn't mean that you can't do things that other people think, oh, you know, last time I was talking about not going to extremes and how extremes makes it more difficult. Not that you can't be happy or peaceful if you go to an extreme, but we listed all the different extremes. We listed a number of them, and there are, of course, thousands of more. more. Extreme of being very wealthy, of having super health, of uh, having a spectacular house, of uh, uh, having a uh, spectacular vocabulary, of uh, whatever it may be. And I mentioned uh, the possibility that we chose what we would look like in this life. And isn't it interesting how many people did not uh, choose to be uh, startlingly beautiful? And then also, we, another thing I mentioned was clothes. You know, if you go to an extreme when you're close, it makes it more difficult. Now, from the people who came up afterwards, I realized that once again, this had been misunderstood by some. Uh, there was one man who came up and started apologizing about the suit that he had wore and the jewelry that he had around his neck and so forth. People, there is no, you cannot take a particular set of clothes and say that this is an extreme. You know whether or not you've put yourself in extreme. No one else knows this. There is no way we can judge someone and say that they're going to an extreme. We do not know what's an extreme. I recently wore a velvet shirt with silver bu buttons uh, and a um, 
rawhide uh, coat, and so forth. Had I gone to an extreme? No, it was a wedding. And the people, had, uh, and I wanted to dress up for it, and yet it was not a formal wedding. And so I had on my uh, Santa Fe Indian shirt and so forth. It was, a, it was not an extreme. But if I had worn that at some other place, then I would have known that I had placed myself in an extreme. Not that it's wrong to do that. Not that anyone's bad, but that it makes it more difficult because now I tend to think more of myself as a body. So please don't judge people that you think are beautiful. Hey, you chose the wrong body. You're beautiful. Look at me. I'm a simp. I'm more spiritual. This is ridiculous. We're talking about being more beautiful than you think you are. That kind of beauty. Oh, I've got a beautiful body and I've got to be more and more and more beautiful. I was going to tell a... Uh, I'm not going to tell that one. You've got to... Uh... It's... It's, uh, it's the person just might know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I was going to give you an example about someone who had a beautiful body and was not content with it and made it even more beautiful and this guy had all kinds of problems about that. It's just that putting yourself in an extreme. And you see, this is the thing. A Course in Miracles says that specialness must be protected. So anything that you think you're special about, any specialness you think you have, you must defend it if you think you are special. Because if you think you're special, you think you're different. You do not believe in oneself. And you do not think that you are one with God during the moment that you think you're special. And so you will rush to its defense. And not only that, you will try to make it more and more and more. Notice that you are never content with your specialness. You must increase it. And so when we talk about staying in the present, it's just like anything else. There is no way to translate this into human behavior. This does not mean you don't take out insurance, as we've said so many times, or pay your mortgage, or pay your bills, or make reservations, or any of the other silly stuff. Everything that you do in the world pertains to the future or the past. You're either correcting the past or planning for the future. In the world, staying in the present is in, the, is in your heart. And so... You begin the day, and as you go through it, you realize there isn't anything you have to do. Nothing that you have to do. You are free. There is only one thing to do, and that is to be at peace. To do what you do with gentleness and peace and love. I will never get all the things done that need to be done. Would you say that with me, please? I will never get done. It's not, you're never going to get it all done. You are never going to get it all done. And yet, if you're like most people, you get up in the morning and you start cataloging all the things that have to be done. And you think of more and more things. Did you know that not one of those things has anything to do with your getting home and your knowing God? 
not the things themselves, not the activities themselves. You have only one thing to do today, and that's to be at peace. It truly doesn't matter what you do. So do what you want to do in the present with peace. This is such a freeing concept. A burden is just lifted from your shoulders when you begin to see the truth of this. That you have nothing to do but to be at peace. So do what you want to do. Stay in the present. Do it gently. It does not have to be finished. That's the ego's definition of staying in the present. You may want to finish something. It may give you a sense of strength and encouragement to finish it. But it doesn't have to be finished. And see how many things are interrupted. In this world, it's very difficult to get anything finished. And you get it finished and it unravels almost immediately. Nothing is permanent. There are no permanent anythings. This is why people go to AA meetings every single night. Brush their teeth every single day. There are no permanent solutions in the world. It will never be all right. You will never get it all fixed up. And yet we think if we get this one thing done, it's going to be all right. We can relax and enjoy our life. (laughs) Can you play chopsticks? Use helpful hints. Okay, here's a helpful hint. This is one I've been working on recently. Now, once again, these little rules, these little hints are not absolute. They're just generally true. And that is, if you say what you're going to do in the future, you get yourself in trouble. You might just start noticing this one. Every time you tell someone what you're going to do for them, you get yourself in trouble. Now, those of you who have little teeny gurus, like Gail and I do, running around the house. One of them's crawling around the house. Crawling guru. (laughs) Um, Know that you cannot do this with children. You cannot tell a child what you're going to do the next day or something. First of all, they don't know what the next day means. They keep asking you all this day, why haven't we done it yet, you see. And invariably, not invariably, of course, nothing in the world is that consistent. But it's interesting how often you tell a child, well, we'll go to the, we'll do this, we'll do that, and we're going to take you there. And something happens and you simply can't do it. Or so-and-so's going to come over and play with you. And the mother calls up and there's some reason they can't do it. So you quickly learn not to do this with children. But then we try to relearn the lesson with each other. So a little teeny helpful hint, not a big thing. See, we, we've covered things like you'll make life easier on yourself if you don't discuss other egos. Discussing other egos will tend to cause you trouble. Now, this is just another thing that I've begun to notice more and more. I'm getting hit by the universe now when I do this more and more. And that is, talk about what's going to happen in the future. Now, of course, there are times in which this must be done. 
I had a simple choice. I could have either waited until the end of the year and said, by the way, this is the last service. (laughs) Or I could start at the beginning of the year and say, this is the last year. But I was not deluded by the fact it was going to cause me trouble to say that, and indeed it has. (laughs) It's caused a lot of anger and a lot of hurt feelings and feelings of betrayal. It was just the best I could do. It was the best I could do. Because to do it at the end of the year, I thought would have been so shocking and people felt so betrayed, they would have been worse. But it has caused problems to talk about what was going to happen in the future. If this congregation and this minister, actually Gail's co-minister, did you know she can marry you too? (laughs) For some reason, everybody in the world wants to get married now. Gail can marry you too, people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She can't reach me or she'd be kicking me right now. (laughs) But it it does cause problems. But if if the ministers and everyone were completely in the present, it wouldn't have been necessary. It wouldn't have been necessary because the church would have ended and then what would you have done? You would have stayed in the present. Each day you would have stayed in the present. I would have stayed in the present. And there would be no feeling of betrayal or why was this done and trying to understand it and so forth. Because we would have stayed in the present, we would have assigned no meaning to it. We would have just trusted it, do you see? But of course it had to be done and there's things that have to be said. I'm going to end with one uh, final little uh, story. pertains to staying in the present. To have an opinion is to take yourself out of the present. To have an opinion is to fall back on your past. You cannot feel strongly about something unless you forget that you are the child of God and remember your past because you feel strongly about it. If I feel strongly about it, I don't believe it. Would you say that with me? I know it will stick in some of your throats. But remember, if you don't say it, you're feeling strongly about not saying it. If I feel strongly about it, I don't believe it. Just simply notice if this is true. See if this is true. The next time you start voicing an opinion, check to see if you believe it you will see you do not even believe it if you look closely. Why? Because it came from your past and you are not the same anymore. You're not the same person. You've held this opinion for several hours, several days, several years. And you are different now and you actually no longer believe it and that's why you feel so strongly about it. Because you're trying to teach yourself an impossible lesson. And so you're exerting all the energy you have to try to teach yourself that you believe this. Don't touch anything in the world with your ego opinion. Don't touch a building or a person or a book or a behavior or an event or an atmospheric condition. Don't touch anything in the world with your ego opinion and you'll remain happy. So there we were sitting out on the beach with this lovely couple that invited us to have a little picnic. 
John was turning over rocks and so forth, finding many, many things that were dead. I didn't know there were so many dead things on the beach, <laughs> bringing us parts of them. <laughs> and we were having really a good time until the man asked me, well, what are you working on now? And I started telling him that I was working on a book, uh, How to Live in the World and Still Be Happy. And I said, I'm trying to write it without any spiritual terms whatsoever. No spiritual terms. And then I started giving him my opinion on spiritual terms, terminology, language. And I got into this subject, and about uh, three or four minutes into the subject, Gail said, would you go to the car and get Jordan? I forget what it was. He needed something. And I didn't want to go to the car. I hadn't finished giving my opinion. Now, whenever you, <laughs> whenever you feel this business of not wanting to be interrupted, you can be sure that you're not in the present, that you're expressing your ego, that you are loving your ego, and that you are trying to pass your loving ego on to someone else. You're asking them to please be an ego in this way. And as soon as I noticed that, I immediately got up and went to the car because I realized I had made a mistake. And then I felt very sad because I realized I had ruined the past 20 minutes there on the beach by having touched it with my opinion. It had been a very gentle day, and I had touched it with my opinion. Now, I, I, the thing to do wasn't to spend the rest of the day regretting it. I simply see the mistake and say, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to be with gentle people and just enjoy it and not think that I have to express my opinion. Did you know you can express your opinion and the words you can express can be perfectly true? It is possible to have an opinion about the truth. And what I had said was true, but it had no God in it because it was coming from my ego. So it doesn't matter whether what you're saying is true. It matters whether or not you're feeling strongly about it. Bring God into it. Bring peace into the moment. And you'll be happy. And you'll stay in the present.